Hey, good morning, Center. Why don't you stand up? We're going to worship our God together. Let's lift our voices.
glad that you are here. I'm glad that on the kind of depressing Sunday in January, it was kind of rainy, kind of cold, that you're here with us and uh, singing out to God. That's why we're here. But I would love, I think it'd mean a lot uh, for people around you too, just to say hi to somebody, get to know them, say, I'm glad that you're here in this warm room with me. I'm worshiping with me. Maybe meet somebody you never met before and uh, maybe to say a quick prayer uh, for 630 tonight, the Lions to win and Lift our voices together, center. There's the sound. There is a sound I love to hear. It's the sound of the Savior's robe. We walk to the room where people pray. Where we hear praise and sing to you.
big barrel of water on the way in. And uh, that tank is open and available. So if you came ready to get baptized or take your next step, we'd encourage you. We're going to celebrate and have barbecue together, and we're going to do some baptisms together and open that up. And uh, anyone who wants to take that next step. So that's a really exciting part of today. You people are committed to here. The second thing is we wanted to take a quick moment to start doing this. We've just been acknowledging some of our volunteer teams that make Sundays and beyond happen, and uh, you may or may not know this, but every single Sunday there's a team who invests like crazy in music and live stream and cameras and merch and all of those ins and outs, and we're really grateful for them, and so we want to take a moment, if you're on one of those teams, could you just stand up in this room? You already count, but anybody else in worship and tech, or just raise your hand if you're too embarrassed. Okay, there we go. We got one. Um say thank you. Really, really special. It's such a, an honor to be able to kind of in a random last minute way jump in and be a part of that too um, today. And so that's a huge blessing for us. Uh, that's a blessing to me. <laughs> I don't know if that's a blessing to you or not. We'll find out. Uh, but it's a blessing to me to be able to part, be a part of this team. One of the things that's true is this team takes great leaders. It takes good leaders to be able to grow the team large and have a lot of moving parts. And for this interim season, these last few months, Ken and Sue Gossman have led us really well in that and, and just been willing to say, hey, we don't know exactly how this looks for the rest of our lives, but we know that God's called us to the same for this season. And so uh, today's actually their last official Sunday. They're not moving or like disowning us or anything, but um, they're trying to figure out their next steps and calling and pastoral ministry. And so we've been honored to be with kind of serving alongside of them for a few months. So because that's true, could we just thank them specifically, just put our hands together and say thank you to Ken and Sue. Appreciate you both. Yeah, it's a huge honor to be able to do ministry with you these last few months. And uh, it speaks so much to their heart on their last day. They're like, hey, we're both signed up to serve all day. So they were here really early and have served all day, and then they'll be here later when it's all the most of you. Um, so that's pretty much a huge gift. The second thing to celebrate, and as we're in the season of change and transition as a whole church, is uh, we started back in December with about nine candidates to be pastor positions. And so that's a lot. That's a lot of interviews and conversations and trying to figure out who's good fit and who's not. And I'm really excited to say through our search team here at the church and uh, as part of the, the greater network that as of last week, we had four interviews and we worked it down to two really strong candidates for the lead pastor role here that we announced early this spring. And uh, what I would love for you to be praying about in this kind of season of change and season that God's doing in us is that this coming week, we have in-person interviews with both of those candidates, so our search team and leaders that work with them. Could you take a moment, just sometime during the week, if you think back and just pray for them and just ask that God would really clarify and highlight that next person uh, who's supposed to lead center into the chapter that God has and, and, and what future he has in this place. And uh, yeah, that's decent for me to announce, but that's what I'm praying for, too. I, I'm, I'm selfish as well, so just let them ask for God to highlight our family's next steps as well. And so I would love for you to pray about that this week. And as it comes to your mind, as you're thinking about it, pray for the current uh, search team. Pray for wisdom for Brian and so many other leaders who are part of that process, our own elders and advisory team. And uh, I just believe that as God's pinpointing who that next person is, that it'll be something really special for the whole church to see. And so I want you to pray for them as well. The last thing I want to say is a big thank you. Some of you this last year stepped into giving in a brand new way, and I know that's like, I don't know how many of you guys 
God's going to provide for me, and he has. We're here. We've got propane tanks. We've got power bills. We've got a house and, and a lot of other things. And so I just want to say thank you, boys, who stepped out and shared this last year. And maybe today, this is a time to plant seeds. Maybe today is a day to say, hey, maybe it's time to tithe or set aside or give or whatever feels appropriate to you when it comes to your finances. And I can give you a personal testimony. Ten-plus years ago, when Lindsay and I decided to give, I felt like the scariest, dumbest thing ever. And we didn't even make that much of a decision. It felt like a, but it felt like a huge proportion of it. And God has taken care of every single need that we have. We've never needed anything. Now, I would love to test it, but at the same day, at the same time, you know, like, uh, he's taken care of every single need. There's nothing that I've ever needed. And I want to tell you, like, you can trust him with food. That doesn't just work for pastors. That works for ordinary people who trust him and just say, I don't know how this one's going to, I'm going to step out in faith and you can take care of me. And so maybe you want to start that journey. The best way to do it, go to centerjar.com slash give. It's the easiest way to do it. You can also give in in money or leave, or you can text in your gift and stand up here and say what you're leaving and to do that as well. But I'd love to take a moment and just pray over our offering, pray over all of those transitions. And then we're going to hear from Jeff today in kind of the next step of sowing series. And uh, I've already heard it a couple times, but I just want to say it's a really good practical message for you. And I believe that as a staff and as someone who's taught this church, that God is using the offering to bless the church in ways that we never could have done. So I'd love to pray for us and ask God to kind of open our ears and minds to hear from you. So Jesus, thank you for your word. Thanks for your generosity to us. Thanks that Anything that we give is actually just a response. It's an overflow of the things that you've given to us. And so I pray, God, that you build in us hearts and and a culture of generosity, but I pray that you'd also help us to take steps of obedience where we don't make sense, when we face fears really risking, really scary, really irrational. And we thank you that as we look back, not just on this year, but on the last year, that you've taken people just like us to every step of the way and said, I will come and I will honor you and I'll go first choose you and I'll come second. So I pray that that journey, God, in and through and on through us would be something we get to continue. And we pray right now for your work. I pray that it would go so far beyond just teaching and preaching and what we can't do, but it would be something that goes into our heart and something that teaches us something that we need for every season that we're in right now, whatever it is. And we pray for open eyes, open ears, open minds, open hearts for you to be able to speak into what we need to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Don't let the Bible be just this book. Let your stories and your fears be a book and let your mind find its way through Scripture. So let's put ourselves back in touch with the real people of the Bible. People who face real situations and real struggles. Like Jonah. This lesson for this prophet is those critical lessons and mistakes for following God into a new year. His story is complex, and it's a lot like ours, except for the whole world. But God has his love for the world and the world in an unmistakable way. Let's dive in. Good morning, Center Church. If you haven't met before, my name is Jack, and I am the Youth and Discipleship Resident here at Center Church. And I'm not going to beat around the bush. We're just going to jump right into it. The question for you today is, what is a circumstance you're in that you would trade away for anything else? 
What's an area of your life that you just feel uncomfortable in? That gives you nothing but a source of, like, uneasiness? Or, you know what, let's even up it a little bit more. What's an area of your life that just frustrates you? That just makes you angry? That if you could change it, if it was in your power to change it, you would. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your financial situation. Maybe it's your relationship. I don't know what it is. But I want you to be pondering that as you hear this word today. But to help give some imagery to it, what am I talking about? What are these circumstances that I'm asking you to reflect on? Well, when I think of situations that I can't change, that I would want to change, I think of a time when I went charter fishing with my family. Here's a picture of me afterwards, very happy to be on land. You can see the big grin and the the dinner that we caught collectively. Uh, That was not the smile I had on the boat, I'll tell you guys that much. See, the day we went out on the boat, there were some very, 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 very strong winds. And waves that I'm surprised we went out onto the open ocean on, you know. And I'm not one to get too seasick, but we got out of the bay, and I just couldn't even handle it. it. I couldn't hold it any longer. I was over the railing, you know. And I realized, wow, this is the condition I'm going to be stuck in for the rest of the day. I mean, you know, with the boat going side to side, you can't even, like, have stable footing. Your stomach becomes a blender that's unsafe, you know, and it's like the smell of fish gets increasing as you catch more and more fish as a group. It's, oh, man, like, th- there's a baseline if you don't know what circumstances I'm talking about. Just fi- picture that disgust that I was in, at least. But then the real question is, when you're in situations like that, that maybe aren't physically, like, out of your control, where you feel uncomfortable like that, maybe it's more of an emotional thing, where you just feel drained anytime you talk to this person you constantly see. Maybe it's something mentally that every time you try to plan around and delegate your responsibilities and go in your calendar and set these times to do things, it just keeps getting away from you. Or maybe it's something spiritually that you wish you could change, that every time you talk to God, you just feel like you're talking to the ceiling, and that it's kind of pointless. What do you do in those situations? How do you react in these circumstances you find yourself stuck in? Well, to answer that question, we're going to look at this guy. His name you see on the screen. His name's Jonah. Jonah's had quite a life so far in our sermon series, and we're going to go back a little bit. Last week, we saw him fulfill a calling on his life. God told him to go to the city of Nineveh and to preach the good news and bring salvation to this city. And Jonah just did that last week, but we, we missed a part a little bit where he encounters a whale Perhaps you've never been to church before, or before you even knew anything about Jesus, you knew this story about Jonah and the whale. You know, it's a very famous media piece from the Bible, and we're going to focus on that today. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Jonah 1, verse 17, or if you have a device that you access the Bible on, now would be the time to get it out and turn here. But while you're doing that, let me give you a little recap, because it's been a while since we've started this series, uh, series on Jonah. And Jonah's had quite a story so far. See, Jonah was called by God as a prophet to go to this city and to bring God's presence there, to bring this sense of salvation to this place. But in the process, Jonah didn't really listen, kind of deliberately so. Jonah hates Nineveh, and I say that with the full force of the word hate. Nineveh was the enemy nation to Jonah. It was part of this empire called the Assyrian Empire, and the kingdom that Jonah was a part of, the kingdom of Israel, to put it in perspective, they go to war 10 years after the book of Jonah. So there's a lot of tensions that are building up right here, where Jonah doesn't like Nineveh. He sees them as the enemy. He sees them as undeserving to be saved. And now he's called there. So in response, he does the human option, and he says, no way, God, I'm out. 
and he gets on a ship going the opposite direction where a storm breaks out, and he ends up being tossed overboard to stop the storm. And that's where we pick up the story of Jonah in verse 17. And it says this, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called out to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord, and we could dive into the complexities here, because this is quite a story, an ordeal, might I say, you know, with the whole fish eating a person, and that person living within a fish for three days and three nights. I could be up here talking to you about all what scholars think for hours and hours, but I'm going to take a, a pastoral stance here. I'm going to say that's not the craziest thing in this story. It's kind of a weird stance, but I think that's not the craziest thing that happens here. A man getting eaten and staying inside of a whale three days, three nights, or a fish, or whatever have you. I don't think that's the craziest part. I think the craziest part is that Jonah prayed. And you might be saying, why is that that crazy? It's just a prayer. Well, if you look at the story of Jonah up to this point, a whole book that has his name on it, that's about his life, really hasn't had him talking that much. You know, for a main character of his own book, he really has spoken a couple words. Let alone, he hasn't yet to even talk to God. When he was called by God, hearing God's audible voice in his life, something I think we all very much desperately would want, Jonah doesn't respond. In fact, he, he acknowledges it, but disregards it and goes the opposite direction. On top of that, when there is a storm breaking out on the ship, everyone else on the ship, it says, is crying out to their gods. What is Jonah doing? He's asleep. He's silent. But yet here, in the belly of this fish, something prompts Jonah to do the unthinkable, to pray. And I think what really is that prompt, I think what Jonah is starting to realize in his life is something that we've been saying ever since we started this series. And that's that the book of Jonah isn't really about who Jonah is. It's about who God is. You see, Jonah is not a great guy. He's very selfish. He's very sinful, very disobedient. In fact, I would even go even further to add some depth. I would say that Jonah represents the narrow-minded people, the narrow vision, the, the people who are even blind, and the people who are prejudiced. All these bad things. But at the same time as that, through this life of a sinful man, very selfish and disobedient guy, we see that there is a God who is in the story moving, who is actively 
at work. And that work ultimately leads to the salvation of every single person involved. See, I think Jonah's realizing that this isn't his life. I think he's realizing his plans aren't the right plans. But maybe there's something to God's. Maybe there's something to the way that God's working that Jonah wants to be a part of. I think through the prayer we can see this further. There's a clear disjunction or a separation between Jonah's will and his actions. See, his will, I don't think, has changed from the moment this book has started. Jonah is a sinful guy who does not like Nineveh. Again, Nineveh is the enemy. They are the people Jonah views as being narrow-minded, as being blind to their own actions and their sins, as being prejudiced to those around them. And because of that, Jonah doesn't want anything to do with them. He doesn't want to go there to an enemy nation where he's probably going to die, let alone bring a God who is promising to save them. Who would want to save their enemies? So his will is very much unchanged. But his actions are different. Jonah's actions are an act of submission to God. It's Jonah saying, while I still kind of believe these things, I still have these grudges, I see you at work, God. And I want to lay down my plans, my will, my ideas of what's right and wrong at your feet. And I want to see what you have in store. Now, where am I getting this from? Am I just making a claim out of nowhere? If we look at some of the other stuff in the passage, I mean, right at the beginning, let's look, right? In my distress, I cry out to God. The word cry out here in the original language, the Hebrew language, is a word called kara. I would encourage us all to say it. Ready? One, two, three, kara. It's a fun word. A little roll R in there. But kara means I cry out. And specifically when it's talking about prayers, it means I'm calling down God's presence to this moment. I'm making a space for God to enter in in conversation with me. And we see Jonah do that here, but I don't think that's really necessarily the point of why he's saying the word kara. I think he's actually being kind of intentional. Because earlier in the book of Jonah, we see the word kara used only once. And that's when God calls Jonah himself. God says, get up and go to the city of Nineveh and kara against them. Cry out against them. Bring down my presence into this city so I can be at work. And I think Jonah, when he's saying, I kara to you, I want your presence here, I think he's saying it in the same regards, knowing that's how God called him. Because he's saying, God, in the same way the Ninevites need to be saved, I need to be saved. In the same way the Ninevites need you, God, I need you. I think he's now seeing himself as we see Jonah, where he's saying, I am the narrow-minded person who didn't open up to look for God's work. I stuck to my own plan. I was blind to my own actions and my disobedience and to my own sin. And I was prejudiced against them. I am that person that I saw them to be. And he forms this, this link of empathy between his enemy and himself as they're both in need of desperate salvation. But I think there's something even further we can interpret from the way that Jonah is talking about this salvation, the way that he is now realizing he needs to submit to God. And to do this, I think we need to put ourselves in his shoes, because I think we can glance over Jonah's story a little bit too much. So if you would, I'd encourage you to close your eyes, and I'm just going to talk about what Jonah was in, what his situation was like. So try to picture along, try to picture that you're the person that I'm describing here. Ready? So you're on a boat, 
And this boat is swaying side to side uncontrollably. This is a dinky wooden boat, and there's a huge storm with 10-foot waves crashing all around you. The sky is pitch black. There's rain peltering you in the face, and the lightning is striking all around you. And before you know it, you have a bunch of people picking you up as you're kicking and fighting them, and they're bringing you to the edge of the boat where they toss you overboard. And your body hits the water. And you start to fight against the currents of the waves. You start to try to stay afloat as you're gasping for air. You're fighting the waves and the power that is behind them, but also the, the cold frigidness of the water as it's sapping away your strength. You start to feel your fingertips go numb, and it crawls up the rest of your arms, and it crawls up your legs to the rest of your body as you're just now just flailing about in the water, trying to stay afloat. But at one point, it's too much, and you start to sink. You can't fight it any longer. You start to accept the position that you're in and you start to sink into the dark, dark depths. And as you're sinking, you're, you're holding your breath for as long as you can, but at some point you have no choice but to just try and breathe. So you open your mouth and water rushes in. At this point, your lungs are burning and you can't stand it any longer. But the last bit of strength, you open your eyes and you see creature that you have never seen before moving towards you with its mouth full of teeth as it swallows you and everything goes black. You guys can open your eyes. I think when we read Jonah's story, sometimes we just say, he's in the water eaten by the fish, that's it. And we miss the picture of death that Jonah is experiencing. The feeling of drowning. The certainty that I have nothing left to do. I just give up. And then this, this creature that Jonah would have probably thought it as a myth. This giant creature of the sea comes forward and it swallows him. Remember the terror you would probably feel if you were just sinking in the ocean and you see a whale just approach you, let alone eat you? But now picture this. Picture the moment that Jonah coughs up all the water in his lungs, that inside the whale he takes his first breath that he never thought he would have again. Probably reeks of fish and doesn't smell or taste that great, but it's life. For Jonah, that was salvation. He saw that God is someone who is powerful enough to command these mighty creatures of the ocean, powerful enough to save his life through his disobedience, but also loving enough to not leave Jonah where he was, not to leave Jonah dying, drowning in the depths. Because Jonah is a man of God. He knows what he's doing is wrong. He knows that he deserves death here. His disobedience was the cause of the storm. The story tells us. And we also know that because when he's thrown overboard, the storm stops. Because Jonah was receiving the death that was in deserving, that was his sinful nature deserved. But yet God didn't leave him there. He saved him. I think Jonah in that moment saw that if God could save him in his disobedience, that maybe he could save the Ninevites as well. And maybe he should. 
Jonah's recognition of God's power and his love resulted in his submission. And I think we can even track that even clearer than this through his actual prayer. So if you're still with me in the Bible, we're going to start in verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3. And Jonah kind of outlines these steps that he goes through where he, he comes to submit to God. And it's beautiful. So I thought we'll start here. Chapter, chapter 2, verse 3 of Jonah, it says this. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. The current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I hope you, I hope you heard my emphasis, because Jonah is very much calling out God here. He's saying, God, why are you doing this to me? I had my plan set out. I mean, look at Jonah's life before this, right? He was a prophet. He was a man of God. A very high-earning job with very low risk. It's a pretty good gig, if I might say so. He then goes and is living in the kingdom of Israel, where his friends and his families are. He, he's living in a safe place, a mighty kingdom. It's a great life. But all of a sudden, God calls him. says, hey, Jonah, go to this enemy nation and cry out against their evilness and bring my salvation into them, into their midst. And Jonah's life was never to be the same. Jonah's life was upheaved from himself. He had no choice in the matter. And he tried to have choice. He tried to run away. He tried to do his own plan again. But at the same time, he struggled because things just kept happening. The storm happened. The whale happened. Things were out of his control. And he said, God, why are you doing this to me? What have I done? And I think that's something that we often say, right? When situations happen, when we find ourselves in circumstances we don't like, when areas of our life just don't start to follow the five-year plan that we have set up for them, even just subconsciously, God, why are you doing this to me? What kind of karma did I do to deserve this? What is happening in my life for you to single me out of all people with this kind of circumstance, with this struggle and suffering and pain that I'm in? start to wrestle with the plan that God has because it's different from your own. And that's, dare I say, a not bad place to start because at least you're bringing it to God. But you can't stay there, and Jonah doesn't stay there either. From there, he starts to see a picture where God is doing this for him. If you don't believe me, we'll turn to verse 6. Chapter 2, verse 6 says this, To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, O Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. This is the moment of salvation where Jonah starts to see maybe, maybe there's hope yet. Maybe this encounter with a whale, this, this fear that I felt, this experience of drowning, maybe it's all leading towards something. And he didn't know. I mean, in the story, we can interpretively say, okay, we know where he ends up. He ends up in Nineveh. So he's probably saying, like, okay, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this because I already know I'm going there. I'm kind of forced to. But Jonah didn't have a GPS in the whale. There was no way for Jonah to really know anything besides that there was a fishy smell all around him. But yet, in that blindness, he steps out in faith and he says, God, I, you have to be doing something here. Through this suffering and this pain that I'm going through, there has to be more. There has to be good things planned out because I know you saved me. I know you're loving and I know you're powerful enough to make things come out of brokenness. You can make bad things good. I know there has to be something here. So I'm going to trust you. And Jonah steps out in faith. 
And from there, Jonah starts to see a different picture come out of that as well. In verse 9, it goes like this. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. See, Jonah, the full picture is this. He now sees God is doing this with him. This isn't just a, I'm suffering, God's a distant deity who is just watching, pulling the strings. But he is someone who is here with me. He is present in my moments of suffering, in my moments of pain. Center Church, hear this. God is with you. Wherever you are, God is with you. And on top of that, he's not just present with you, but he's there empowering you, equipping you. Because he knows what you've been through. We've made a comment a couple weeks ago that while Jonah is flawed, he sucks at saving people, he's not a good guy, he's very selfish, and there's barely any redeeming qualities to him. The better Jonah and the perfect Jonah comes later on in the Bible. And his name is Jesus. Jesus, Son of God, fully divine and fully man, he comes down to earth and he experiences everything that we have ever experienced. Whatever situations you're in where you're saying, I, no one understands what I'm going through. This is a burden I have to bear alone. No one gets it. You may be right. No one around you may get it. And there may be no one in this world right now who gets it. But I'll tell you for certainty. For certain, I know that Jesus has experienced it. Whatever it is. In the Bible, it says that Jesus, the Son of Man and Son of God, has experienced every form of suffering and pain that there is. And through his death, he redeemed it. So when you're in your circumstances right now, and you feel like you're all alone, and you're isolated in these feelings of frustration and bitterness, just know there's a God who cares. Just know there's a God who's powerful enough to change those situations and make them good. There's a God who loves you so much that he's going to be there every step along the way. And you may not be able to empathize with Jonah's story as much. You know, story of a whale being eaten by his little out there. But what does this look like in today's life? What does it look like to go from these steps of, God, you're doing this to me. God, maybe you're doing this for me. And God, you're here with me. What does it look like in your circumstance? I'll ask you again, what is that circumstance that you're in that you would trade away for anything else in the world? I could share mine, and I could go into detail about all that. But I don't think my circumstances do this story justice. Luckily enough, through the Zero Collective that Center Church is a part of, I met a guy named Josh Butt. And I think his testimony is something that you guys need to hear. So instead of me just saying it from up here and, and being a third party in it all, I'd like you to hear it from him himself. So, enjoy.
vacation in Cancun, I just wanted to go for a swim. And so I just jogged down the beach and dove into a wave. Because of the way the wave crashed down, it took all of my forward momentum, turned it into downward momentum, and I head planted into the bottom. And I dove into that wave, a fully functioning 30-year-old, and it pulled me out. I caught a bruiser for life. I came to just loathing, couldn't move my arms. It was just a moment of terror and, and panic. And if it wasn't for my friend and the lifeguard on the beach, I would have died. The next thing I remember, I was waking up in Miami after my final season surgery. And then I came up to Maracaibo for three months of rehab. Towards the end of my time there in Maracaibo, I distinctly remember a conversation having with Shellis, and I said, babe, I don't know what it means to be a dad anymore. I can't pick the kids up, toss them in the air. I don't know what it means to be a husband anymore. And my identity was shattered. I had to reimagine what it was like to be a man. And the first couple years were hell. showed us this video of this guy saying if the price I had to pay to walk again was to lose all I've learned I wouldn't do it and I'm like baloney you know he's just trying to make himself feel better so I remember being at a concert at Van Winkle and I was driving around the lobby and, and people were standing in front of me and it's almost like I could read their minds they were thinking hmm I wonder what that wheelchair is all about or how do those wires work? And I just kind of looked at them and I thought, hmm, I'd rather be me than you guys. And I said, wait, I'd rather be a man than you guys? Wow, God is doing something. And my priorities and my identity are kind of slowly shifting. And I started thinking, hmm, I've learned so much since the accident. If I had to give all this stuff up that I've learned, I wouldn't even do that if I could walk again. That sounds familiar. That stupid video in rehab. And I said, yeah. And now God has redeemed my identity to the extent that when I get in the wheelchair every morning, I don't look at that wheelchair like some sort of death sentence. You know, I can look at the wheelchair and know, wow, this is what God is using to keep me the man that he wants me to be. And I can honestly say I am a better friend, a better dad, and a better husband than I was before the accident. I am so thankful that we serve a God of second chances, of redemption, who will take the ugly, the broken uh, in our lives, and who will exchange it for beauty and for more of him 
it doesn't mean that things are the same as they were before. God is very good, and sometimes He breaks. You know, we just need to wait on Him. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make you give. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. So what is that circumstance in your life? For Jonah, it was a whale. For Josh, it was that chair. In my life, I think it's the timelines that I set for things. Well, what is it for you? can't answer that. I think the only person who can answer that is you and God. Like I said, I when we started this, the most radical thing in this story is not the whale or the complexities behind that, but it's the fact that Jonah prayed. That he took a step towards making a space where he could meet God. Say, God, show me the end of it all. Show me the good things that are going to come out of this. So this next time, we have a little bit of a longer worship set. And it's for you. It's for you to have that moment of prayer with God where you make space and say, God, just meet me where I am. If you're still wrestling with God, saying, why are you doing this to me, then ask him you're in that spot where you're saying, okay, maybe God is doing this for something, for me. What, what is it for? Then ask him. And if you're in desperate need, saying, God, I can't see you in this picture, then ask him to be with you. You're the only one who can do it. So during this next worship time, I encourage you to either stay seated, step to the side to kneel, maybe extend a hand towards God, open up your arms in a posture of receiving, whatever it is to make space for just you and God. I encourage you to do it. Because he makes the broken things beautiful. He redeems the bad qualities of us. He saves us from whatever circumstances are defining us right now. He loves you. And he's powerful enough to change it. To change the bad around you. So I'd like to usher us into this time with prayer. But remember, the next time is yours. So would you pray with me?
Lord, we're here for you. We want to meet with you. Lord, I pray right now that your presence would enter into this room, enter into this place. Meet us where we are. Lord, we're making room for you right now. We want more of you. We want you to fill our lives. Lord, redeem the brokenness in us. Align our plans and our expectations with yours. Lord, we submit it all to you. Show us your way that leads to good things. Lord, meet us where we are. Pray this in your powerful and your loving name. Amen.
Jesus, we say thank you. Thank you that these things that we think can be sugarcoating reality or pretending like life is not hard or things are not difficult or that we have all the answers and everything's figured out. But thank you that in the midst of that whole process, what you invite us to is is the journey of submission, the journey of surrender, the journey of making our heart an open space for you to move, say what you want to say, do the things that you want to do, clarify the things we need clear, give us trust where we don't have trust, give us a sense of your closeness when you feel really far away, and I thank you that as we sing this in a room full of people, that when we say the goodness of God is running after us, that are already in open space, we are people who have experienced hard things. And may we, even in the last few minutes that we have together, be reminded that the right response to the goodness and the faithfulness and the consistency of God in our life is not moving on with life as usual, but it's opening up more of our life to that God because you can be trusted, because you're faithful, because your character is is firm and steadfast, your love and kindness is generation after generation, God, you can be trusted. And so we open up our heart to you, not flippantly, not pretending, but we really do open up our life to you and say, God, we are an open space for you to come and to move and do what you want to do. And we consecrate ourselves to you, we open ourselves to you, and in these last moments of gratitude, we give this to you.
would make our heart ready for that. That you would help us to submit and surrender and be open to whatever you have for us. Honestly, we don't even know what does that mean. What does that mean a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now? We don't even know. We don't have the clarity to know. We're not smart enough to know. We're not good enough to get to know future events to know. But what we do know is that you are trustworthy, you are good, you are present, you are real, you are faithful to find us right where we are. And so we just say, yes, you have our yes, you have our openness, you have our heart, you have our mind, you have our resources, our family, our kids, our marriage, our singleness. You just can have it all because we want exactly what you want because we know that what you have for us is best. What you have for us is good. And so we just bring it to you, Lord. We say thank you for these times where we get to recalibrate our own minds around you. We say yes. Time for surrender. And we just commit ourselves to following you in this way this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, again, thank you for being here. It means so much. Uh, and if you're brand new or just checking these out, please make sure you grab somebody and just introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you. Uh, the second thing would be baptism and so one of the ways you do this just so you know if you've never been here baptism thing is just open if you're like hey i wasn't really planning on doing that but i feel like i need to do that uh, can i talk to you about that I, just if you feel like that's your next step i don't know who's gonna get baptized this year totally honest with you uh and maybe you did that as a little kid and you do that again as an adult maybe you are a student and you know it's your next step uh, we would love to celebrate that with you and so either find me or somebody on our team we would love to connect you we've got clothes and towels and So even if you can't stick around for very long, we just grab some food. Like, I don't want to be super fat at the end of this whole process. And we all sorts of needing. I don't even need barbecue, but I guess I'll eat other things. I don't really know what I'm saying. What we should do is finish the service so I stop talking. And we should all leave and go eat together and celebrate baptism. So have an amazing Sunday. And I'd love to hang out with you and see you in just a little bit. See you then.
hello. Hey, friends, if you're hanging around for barbecue and baptism, the food is ready, I believe. Right? Okay. So whoever's hungry, if you start the line, okay? So we already prayed like 15 times. So the food is open. So if you got little kids you need to feed them, please feed them. <laughs> 